everybody. Welcome to Table Talk, your healthy theological radio addiction. I'm your host, Pastor Brent Kuhlman, along with Pastor Adam Moline and Pastor Clint Poppy. Poppy's the Greek yogurt pastor, and uh, Moline, you're what, the... Uh, the pioneer pastor, you only eat bear meat, elk meat. That's right. Meat. I have to kill it or plant it with my own hands. Yeah, that's so. right. You should have a syndicated uh, food show. <clears throat> I've thought about doing something like Survivor Man, only wearing a clerical collar. Exactly. The cooking pastor. The naked cooking pastor. Put all those syndicated titles together. Naked yes. and afraid, cooking pastor. That Nothing kind of but a clerical <laughs> exactly, collar. Right, right. Yeah, that's a scary image. It's why I don't watch Naked and Afraid. I mean, that's just the stupidest show I've pay ever for seen. Cable. It's the stupidest show you've ever seen. In any event, <coughs> welcome, everybody. We're going to get back to Matthew 24. And uh, why are we going back to Matthew 24? Well, you know, a long time ago, we were... Uh, studying or what how how the creed works from the scriptures how it flows from the scriptures and of course the apostles creed teaches that Jesus will return on the last day to judge the living and the dead and we spent a lot of time learning from scripture that the last days began when Jesus came and the last days will continue until he uh, reveals himself in glory on the last day to judge the living and the dead and so we went to Matthew 24 because this is a go-to passage that speaks about the end times and the last day. And at the same time, it also speaks about another event in the history of the world, which climaxes at 70 AD, when the Roman general Titus, <coughs> after four or five years from 66 to 70 AD, besieges Jerusalem and then finally captures Jerusalem and uh, destroys the temple in 70 AD, which of course, Jesus predicts in Matthew 24, and uh, is a foretaste then of what the last day will be like, just like the flood in Noah's day is a foretaste of what the last day will be. So now Jesus speaks about the destruction of the temple and the things that precede it. These are, this is what it's going to be like living in the last days and even right up to the last day and what it will be like at the last day. So when you read Matthew 24, you have to keep this in mind, that Jesus speaks about both events, and sometimes he's talking about both events at the same time. <laughs> uh, so that, that, that's helpful in, in reading. Pro- prophetic perspective. Is that what they call it? That is the technical term for that. Prophetic perspective. Or another way to say fulfillment but not without or but with further re- but not without remainder, if you will. There's still more to come. Yeah. But again, I want to emphasize emphasize this this point. When we read Matthew 24 and its parallels in Mark 13 and Luke 21, Jesus speaks about the destruction of the temple and the last day because the destruction of the temple is a foretaste of what the last day will be like. Okay. And this is why I contend that the old German Luther Bibles, any of you got your, your German Luther Bible? Any of you got those? Vicar, do you have? Vicar's sitting here with us in the studio It's today. available for free on BibleGateway.org or .com. I don't remember which one. But and we're, yeah. talking, we're talking about the Luther Bibles. Yep, yep. And the Luther Bibles always included. And, and the, the Saxons that came over from Germany and the Prussians, and, and if you came from Germany, came to America and you brought your Bibles, guess what was included in your Bible? A history of the destruction of Jerusalem. Did you know that? No, I did no. not know that. Oh, yeah. There was a history of it. And you could read about the history of the... And why? Well, precisely because what I've just been saying for the last five minutes. See, this has been lost. Is it Josephus's account or what is it? Uh, that I don't know for sure. I don't think it's Josephus, but I could be wrong. That I don't know. You'll have to look that up. I'll, I'll leave that to the other experts. But that was included, a history. Okay. Now, let's, let's go back to Matthew 24, starting in verse 1, because it's been a long time since we've been there. 
So Jesus leaves the temple, he goes away, and his disciples, they come to point out to him the buildings of the temple. And then Jesus says in verse 2, you see all these things, boys? (laughs) I'm paraphrasing. You see this stuff? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So here he says the temple's going to be destroyed. And this, for, for a Hebrew, for a Jew, that's the end of the world. Because the, the, the temple is God's residence, his palace on the earth. This is where God blesses his people, where he puts his name. So if this is destroyed, that's got to be the end of the world. And it makes sense then. God's visible presence, God's <laughs> real presence among the people. Yeah, yeah. Go back to, you know, think about this in the Old Testament, folks. First Kings chapter 8, when Solomon dedicates the temple that he made. And uh, Solomon says, Can God, does God dwell on earth? Uh, well, yes and no. Uh, he does here in this temple where he puts his name, and when we pray, he hears and he forgives. So that's, yeah, piggybacking on that. And even further back, <coughs> think of Exodus 20, <coughs> verse 24, where the context, of course, is the giving of the Ten Commandments, and then God gives Moses instructions with regard to <coughs> worship. You know, make an altar of earth for me and offer your sacrifices there. And in verse 24, God says, wherever I cause my name to be honored. Now, Clint, you're the Hebrew scholar. I'm going to put you on the spot. <coughs> what, what is the Hebrew verb form there that's translated wherever I cause my name to be honored? Do you remember? I can't it's hifiel. So this is God doing it. It's translated correctly usually. Wherever I cause my name to be honored, God says, I'll be there and I'll, I'll bless you. I will come to you and I will bless you. Notice the association with worship and name. This continues on with the temple. And then it continues on with Jesus, who is the fulfillment of the temple (coughs) and the name. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. I'm, I'm, I'm just rambling, you know, but this is part of table talk. You just ramble. But back to Matthew 24. I was just going to say what makes that significant is we don't worship wherever we feel like worshiping. Um, you know, I can worship God in bed on Sunday morning. I can worship God on the golf course. I can worship God in the duck blind. You know, that kind of thing that we hear on a regular basis. God attaches his name to specific places and to specific things like his word, his gifts, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And uh, we can worship wherever we want, but oftentimes that's the strange fire that is condemned in in the scriptures and uh, the kings the northern kings um, most of the time they are condemned simply because they're worshiping in the wrong place well and and this is the point king jeroboam when he sets up places of worship in the northern kingdom because he doesn't want his people to go to the southern kingdom in jerusalem to worship because then he's going to lose his political clout and religious clout so he sets up two places one just north of the border (laughs) and then way one way up north in dan and says, the people of the northern kingdom, we're going to worship here. Well, God didn't promise to put his name there. The point being is that, let, let's diagnose what you just said and what Jeroboam does, is that these, when you think that you have better words than the Lord, watch out. And that's Jeroboam. And you're right. And so when you think you have better words than the Lord with regard to where God promises to be for you, to bless you, then you're condemned. Read your Old Testament very carefully on this. Now, just so that people aren't misunderstanding what we're talking about, when we use the term worship, that cuts two ways. Because uh, you're right, Clint, 
God promises to bless us with the forgiveness, the Good Friday forgiveness that Christ won on the cross through the word and the sacraments. Okay? So is God everywhere? Yes. God's everywhere. But where does he promise to be for you graciously? That's the, the, that's the proper distinction. So if I want to receive the forgiveness of sins from God, God, has God promised to give it to me on the golf course? No. He promises to give it to me in his word and sacraments. And that's normally given where? Church. Yeah, right. Now, worship is also spoken of in the Bible in another way, too. And that's Romans 12. That your life lived out by faith, your service of love, Paul says, this is also your spiritual worship. So faith in the places where God says, here I'm for you, and then your life of love lived for others, that's also part of worship as well. Let's also add something else to this talk. Um, Let's not forget that we, the baptized, have been given God's divine and saving name. And so during the week, the holy and royal priesthood then prays. That's one of the spiritual sacrifices that the holy and royal priesthood does. So we pray. And how do you begin to pray? Where you you invoke the divine name. So in the small catechism, you have the suggestion when you get up in the morning and when you go to bed, you begin your prayers by the invocation. You, You invoke God's divine and saving name based upon his promise in the Bible that where I put my name, there I am, and I will bless you. So even though you're not in church, we invoke God's name in our homes, and God is there with his name, promising to be with us to bless us. And that's why, to, to push this even further, that's why, um, for example, the evening prayer that Luther suggests, you know, I thank you prayer, and we ask God to forgive us all our sins where we have done wrong. And that's based upon what? His divine promise in his word that he forgives us for Christ's sake. But you're not in church, you see. But this extends. The home is like church in miniature as well. If, if you will. This is why Luther could say that the mom and the dad are the bishops and the bishopesses. The apo- he even, even calls them apostles. <laughs> it's and it's very common in the early days of Lutheranism to talk about the family altar. Yeah, yeah. Where the, the father teaches the family uh, to pray the word of God, to sing hymns. And uh, this family altar has has all but been lost in our minds and in our homes. Today. And I think during this pandemic, we can we can help people do this again. Absolutely. Now, Moline, of course. Let's say Moline all of a sudden decides, you know what? Uh, I, I'm not going to go to church anymore. I don't need that for forgiveness. See, that's now the proper distinction between the law and the gospel comes into play. With a Moline who talks like that, then we have to come with the law and say, "You're wrong, brother." Right. Yeah. You know. As yeah. <laughs> As oftentimes pastors do, and I think that's, you know, this is very, very tangential, but uh, if you're listening and your pastor comes and says something hard to you, it's done out of love uh, so that you might repent and and come back to God's Word. He's not trying to make you feel like a jerk or, uh, you know, drive you from the church. Yeah, it's not not personal. Right. By the way, uh, I find this fascinating. I'm I'm piggybacking what you just said. Now, of course, I follow the the papal... uh, readings. I have the three-year series, and we're in series A. I know you're one year, so we always have fun talking about this with one another, so I'll just, I'll, I'll own up to it. Heretic. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the first reading for Easter 6 is from Acts 17, <clears throat> and it's very interesting that Paul on Mars Hill, or the Areopagus, he does exactly what the prophets do. He does exactly what John the Baptist does. He does exactly what Jesus does. The, one of the first words out of his mouth when he preaches on Mars Hill is the R word. 
You know what I'm, the repent. God wants all people to repent. And why? Because there's going to be a last day judgment. And the one who's going to do the last day judging is the one that God the Father raised from the dead. That's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so this is part of the pastoral task. Wait, there's loads of things. You know, I would love to do a study of the book of Acts because the more I read the book of Acts, the more you you realize the parallels. Oh, yeah. It's it's awesome, Clint. He's he's giving me a hard time because we're halfway through the book of Acts in our Bible study. Oh, And I think the... To point be fair, Pastor Moline is in love with the book of Acts. That's why I'm teasing <laughs> him right now. I think it's great because you see that the early preachers of Christianity, like Peter and Paul and uh, all the other Mary? apostles, are actually Lutheran <laughs> preachers. They preach the law. They preach gospel. They preach Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins. The church is brought into existence by preaching, baptizing, and the Lord's Supper. And basically everything they do matches what we do now, except... They are able to do some miracles, but the miracles never actually convert anyone. It's the preaching and the sacraments that do. The miracles get people's attention. It's interesting. Yeah, just one other point on the, on Acts is the more I read the book of Acts, and I'm sure you can vouch for this, is you see the, the parallels between what happened in our Lord's ministry and what happens in the apostolic ministry of Peter and Paul. For example, oh, I hear the music. We'll come back to this after, we, after a break. Hang on tight. 